0: Our Bibles, and you can open up to the book of Joshua. It's uh, six books in from the beginning of the Bible, and we're going to be in chapter 13 to 19, looking through this section. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, thank you for the compass the lamp, the light, the guide, the map. Lord, help us to understand the power of your word. It declares your glory. It tells our story and yours. Pray that you'd help us to Take it seriously, God, that we would learn from it, that we would revere it, obey it, share it. We'd be responsive to how you, Holy Spirit, teach our hearts today and our minds from what we see in your word Thankful for each one here and thankful, God, that you know each of our hearts. You know exactly what we need and you will meet us. You're more than ready to meet us. Help us to be willing to meet you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So I'm going to put a couple of these chairs up real quick because I have a a map that I'm going to use just for a brief overview. And I've been working on the overview that we are as we go through the Scripture, so that we can continue to uh, see the big picture of what's God's doing. It started in Genesis, He called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees and called him to go up into a land He would tell him. And so we pick up the story just in Exodus. Exodus, the people were in bondage for four hundred years. I'll get out of your way, and I just wrote Exodus and going through. We're going this way. In, in your life right now, every day of your life that's behind you is behind you. You're moving forward. And we're moving forward toward great and glorious things, which is your future and my future. But in that future, there's also some difficult things. There's going to be some trials. There's going to be some tribulations. There's going to be some struggles. And we want to move forward into the the good The bad and the ugly with open eyes. As open eyes as we can have. So God led them out of Egypt, it says. And He took them to the edge of the promised land. Okay? He took them to the edge of the promised land. And then in Numbers 13, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Those are the books in order. Forty years of wandering because of Numbers 13. They went up to spy out the land. Twelve spies went in and looked at the promised land. And indeed, it was a promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. A place of celebration, provision, abundance. But take warning. Do not forget there are giants in the land. You cannot defeat those giants without Him. You can't face your future without Him. He's given you a life, but that life is not to live apart from Him. And so we come to the edge of the promised land again after wandering for 40 years in the desert, given the book of Leviticus, how to worship God, and Deuteronomy, the instructions of how to live in the promised land. And we come into the promised land. Joshua takes over. They cross the Jordan River. They took over the land. In chapter 13, how they settle on the east side of the Jordan. Chapter 14 to chapter 19 in the book of Joshua is the dispersion of the promised land. The allotment of the different lands to the tribes and the clans, family by family. We're not going to read every word of the page because there's um, cities that no longer exist and I cannot pronounce them, nor can you. And so we'll look at the general picture, but I want you to understand the big picture. So they go into the land. Then while they're in the land, the book of Judges, the book of Ruth, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. That's how the Bible unfolds and it tells a story. In the Judges, that's exactly what it was. God raised up different judges in times to help out the people and they went through a cycle of deliverance, back into sin, back into deliverance, back into freedom, back into sin, and the cycle over and over. And we see that. And then we read the story about Ruth. Then we hear about King Saul, King David, King Solomon, the divided kingdom, and then exile. Because they didn't listen to God, the Assyrians take over the east side of the Jordan River, And they capture those people and they take them into exile. 150 years later, they come back, the Babylonians now, and they take over Judah. Israel falls first. They become divided. The tribes that go into the land become divided because of disobedience and not listening to God. And so we pick up the story and we're looking again at the big picture. And I'm going to read just a, a clip out of Deuteronomy the instructions about going into the land before we get to Joshua and I've tried to kind of keep peace in this picture together you're looking back a little bit but you don't live there what you've gone through is to help you live in the future if you learn from your mistakes what you've gone through and to help you grow and have experience to what you're going toward and so that's what we have in Deuteronomy so I'm going to pick up the story at first in Deuteronomy Chapter 8. So if you could turn there so you could read, because this is, this is about your life and it's about my life. So right now, if, I could, if anybody is still breathing, they still have time in the left of their lives. They're moving toward the future of their lives. Life is like a journey. Okay. So here's a warning in the beginning of their journey before they get to the promised land. God's telling them specifically. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. and well, Obviously, we can't read all that he tells them at this point, but it says in chapter 8, verse 6, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and revering Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools and water, with springs flowing in the valleys and the hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, honey, To a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where rocks are iron (coughs) and you dig copper out of the hills. And it makes me think of the wedding day. When you're standing there and everything is before you. And you're looking forward to your glorious future. And somebody should say, hey, you know what? It will be a glorious future. That's a possibility. But there's going to be some difficulties along the way. So pay attention. So look what He says to them in verse 10. When you have eaten, when you have eaten because you go into the land flowing with milk and honey, it's going to be a great place. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and your sins are forgiven, it's the beginning of a journey with Jesus. You have no idea how to trust Him at this point. You have no idea all that He's capable of. You're in the beginning of the journey, and it's going to be a journey. And you're going to walk this out. And so he tells them, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. So don't forget to be thankful. Don't forget to be thankful for what you have right now. And and I think about it. If you're upset with the situation you're in right now, ask yourself how you got there and why you're not thankful. And change what you're not thankful for. Be responsible. Step up to the plate. Meet God where He wants to meet you. It says in verse 11, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, His decrees that I'm giving you today. Otherwise, this is a law. This is what happens to the human being. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, right? Right? Everybody sits down to the table and you eat and you're satisfied. Be careful. Be careful. When you build fine houses and settle down, when you have herds and flocks and grow large, um, grow large flocks and your silver and your gold increases and all you have is multiplied. Verse 14, then your heart will become proud and you will forget. The Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery... He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless place with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of the rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known to humble you and to test you, so that you might know in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, My power, my strength, my hands, my self-sufficiency, my abilities, my skills, my gifts... Have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. So that's Deuteronomy. Then there's a warning. So then we're going to skip ahead and we're going to go to Joshua because that's where we've been. And we covered Joshua 13, where they settled into the east side of the promised land. And we're going to pick up the story. And I'm going to use, uh, I'm trying to grow here. So are we ready to go? All right. There we go. So this is uh, just a picture. You have the Sea of Galilee, Dead Sea. They came up from down there in Egypt. Egypt's over here. They came up. They went around. They crossed over. This is the wilderness. This is the Mediterranean. Up here's the north. Down here's the south. So, we're picking up the picture in chapter 14. Because in chapter 13, they just settled on this side. The two tribes settled on this side. Reuben, Gad, Manasseh. Half-tribe of Manasseh. And now we're going to read about what's going to happen in this part of the land. And I'm just reading in um, Joshua 14. These are the areas the Israelites received as an inheritance in the land of Canaan. Which Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, had, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel allotted to them; their inheritances were assigned by lot to the nine and a half tribes, as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Moses granted the two and a half tribes their inheritance on the east side, but had not granted the Levites an inheritance among the rest. For the sons of Joseph had become two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. The Levites received no share in the land, but only towns to live in with pasture lands for their flocks and herds. So the Israelites divided the land just as the Lord had commanded them. Don't worry about the Levites. They'll be taken care of. They'll end up in 48 different towns living in the land of Egypt spread throughout the town. Priests and leaders for God's people all throughout. All throughout. So in your situation right now, God is never far away. You might think He's a million miles away. But listen, He has placed you and He has placed people around you. If you would wake up, if I would wake up and see, He is sovereign and He is good. And He is for us, not against us. And we need to keep paying attention. It says in verse 6, Now, men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Japuna the Kenizzite, said to him. Let me just recap quickly. Joshua and Caleb... We know Joshua, he's the author of the book, but Joshua and Caleb are two of the 12 spies that went in in Numbers 13, and they came back with a great report. They came back with a glorious report. God did promise this this land. This land is good. The other 10 people, they saw some good, mostly bad. They saw giants in the land. And when Joshua and Caleb came back, the other 10 discouraged all the people. So they disobeyed, didn't listen to what God had promised, listened to what men had discouraged them to do, and they turned back. So now, 40 years later, roughly 40 to 45 years later, Joshua and Caleb are distributing the land that God has given them, and they're still alive. They're still there. The rest of the people, up until 20 years old and and over, all those people perished in the desert. So, you got a whole new community that um, grumbled and complained all the way to the promised land that God's bringing them into their promised land. And I just ask you, what does your future look like? What does your future look like? It depends much on how you will respond to God. Because He never fails. He never fails. You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. This is Joshua and Caleb. They're rehearsing the story. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me up from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought back a report according to my convictions. What are your convictions? Are you convinced more about the giants in the land or are you convinced more about the great God of the land and His abilities? Look at what it says in verse 8. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on the day Moses swore to me, the land in which your feet have walked will be your inheritance, and that your children forever because you have followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Now, then, just as the promise, as the Lord promised, He has kept me alive 45 years since the time He said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses set me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out for battle now as I was then. Now give me this mountain, give me this land, give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I'll drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Japuna, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance, So Hebron has belonged to Joshua, son of Jepunah, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kirath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. So chapter 14, just go through a little bit of this. It's interesting that in chapter 13, chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 17, and chapter 18, it refers in a negative way to the fact that the people would not or could not drive out the inhabitants of the land. Well, chapter 14 says that Joshua will take the land. But there's three words, same word used three times in Joshua 14 that kind of jumped off the page at me this morning because Chapter 13, skip 14. Chapter 13, 15, 16, 17 all say things like this. Let me read them to you because I highlighted them. But chapter 13 says this in verse 13. But the Israelites did not drive out the people of Gershom. So they continue to live among the Israelites to this day. Skip chapter 14 because it says wholeheartedly. And there's no... Verse that says they couldn't do it it says give me this land and when you walk wholeheartedly with God In obedience to God He is the deliverer He carries out what he said he would carry out you skip chapter 14 Then you go to chapter 15 the last verse in chapter 15 about dividing up the land verse 63 Judah and they're not talking about the individual Judah. They're talking about his clan Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who are living in Jerusalem to this day. End of chapter 16, go to chapter 16, verse 10. They did not dislodge the Canaanites living in Gezer. To this day, the Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim. And then you go to chapter 17, verse 12. Yet the Manassites were unable to occupy These towns for the Canaanites were determined to live in the region. And then in chapter 18, Joshua brings them all together at Shiloh. And he says, but there's still much territory to be taken. What are you waiting for? And so we're going to look at some pictures here for a second. Now this is the promised land. And they came up from out of Egypt and they came up and they crossed here. Here's where they crossed. Somewhere in this vicinity, went down through the rift valley, came to Jericho, took Jericho, remember, by marching around the city seven times. The seventh day, they did it seven times. So each day for seven days, marched around the city, not saying a word, leaning, depending on God, watching what God could do. God went before them. But remember, these people are in the land. These are the giants in the land. Now, As we go forward, there we go. So here's how Reuben, Gad, Manasseh camped on this side, the east side of the Jordan. That's the land that Moses gave them because they said, can we stay here? And they made a deal with the rest of their brothers and sisters. They said, we'll go into the land with you. We'll leave our wives and our children and our stock behind, but we'll go into the land and we'll help you conquer the land and once that's done then we'll go back and so this is the dispersion of the land and um, each tribe was to get as much land according to the amount of people they had so if you had a large number of people in your clan your tribe you got a bigger allotment of land smaller people smaller land and it, it makes me think about just capacity the differences between us, the different gifts, the different capacities that we have. And sometimes maybe we get hoity-toity. We get all up in ourselves and maybe we bite off more than we can chew. And maybe we think we're bigger than ourselves and we kind of turn our back on God and say, I got this God. I'll call you if I need you. And we go in and we try to take the land on our own without God. And so that might be some of what's going on here. But as you look and it says, I don't want you to misunderstand because sometimes you can read through Joshua and it looks like they just devastated everything. And there's nobody left. And all they need to do now is kick their feet up and settle in because they have it. No, we read little verses like that all through the book. And by the time you come to Judges down here, it says a whole generation grew up that neither knew the Lord nor what He had done for Israel. And I'm thinking, how could that be possible? How could that be possible? Somebody didn't share with their children. Somebody didn't share the greatness of God with the next generation. And that quickly, they went and forsook the Lord, all His promises, and they turned away from Him. So, clicking forward, just wanted to add a couple. So now, interesting enough, Remember, I said Egypt is down over here, and they came up and they crossed back. And I put the pole back to Egypt because if you read the story, every time they ran into a little bit of trouble, the first thing they said, let's go back to Egypt. I want to go back to Egypt. And they forget you were a slave back in Egypt. You brag about the food that you had and you brag about having living quarters, but you were a slave in Egypt. And so this pull back to Egypt, that's the boundary on the south side to the north. I thought about the fact that this is the hill country and we're going to read that they have difficulty with the hill country and the the um, the people that lived in the hill country were determined to stay there. But in our dissatisfaction sometimes in our lives, dissatisfied, never satisfied maybe with what God has given us and materialism and consumerism and the dissatisfaction of our own life because we're not having fellowship with God. And we become dissatisfied and something else starts to look better. Oh, it looks better over there. That looks better over there. That individual looks better. That group looks better. I'll go there. I'll go there. And so there's a pull in a sense, this dissatisfaction that comes to the part of our life. Over here, I put the... uh, the Mediterranean Sea, and it was just interesting that the lapping waves pull us sometimes into a place of complacency. We enter into the land, and we say, well, I'm a Christian now. I'm good to go. God's just going to download everything for me. I don't have to do this. This is, isn't it's supposed to be all about God. And then over here, the wilderness, whoops, go back. The wilderness on this side. Whoop, I did that again. I'm still learning. So, the wilderness on this side. The hidden dangers of the desert. You know, back here is the desert, and it's hundreds of miles before you get to Assyria and Babylon. And you may think, well, I left all that behind me. The past is behind me. I'm all good to go. Well, have you dealt with your past? Have you left it behind you? Or have you brought it? with us and so here's a picture and I didn't want us to misunderstand that the Canaanites are there the Hittites are there the Philistines are here and in the Philistines this is where Goliath lives and if they had went in and conquered the land and did what they supposed to do then first Kings Samuel Chronicles would all read differently than it does read but it's a story of up and down it's a roller coaster ride one day worshiping God and trusting God, and the next day bailing out, giving up on God. And so on, on this side, the Armenians and the Amorites, and the Noabites and the Edomites, they caused problem consistently for the people because they left them in the land. And I wanted to take a moment just to read, because there's some great history about this time written in the book of Psalms. So if you, t- if you turn to your Bible to Psalm 106, it's a tremendous devotional to just read through Psalm 106 because it tells the history of what God did. It's like a giant prayer, Psalm 106, and it'll tell you in detail how God brought them up, how God provided for them again and again, how they missed God's provision and the consequences. So I'm just gonna, we don't have time to read it all. But Psalm 106, verse 32, I just want to pick it up right there. By the waters of Meribah, okay? Because when they're in the desert, there's not water everywhere. So God had to provide water. God brought them to water. If you're thirsty, designed by God, you need water. Four minutes without air, 40 days without food, four days without water, four seconds without hope, Okay? So if you need water in your life, you can trust that God created you to live with water. He'll provide that water. And it does tell us in the New Testament He is the living water. By the waters of Meribah they angered the Lord, and trouble came to Moses because of them. For they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from the Moses' lips. Verse 34, They did not destroy the people's as the Lord had commanded them. But they mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. They worshipped their gods, which became a snare to them. This talking about the children of Israel now in this next verse. God's people. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was desecrated by their blood. They defiled themselves by what they did. By their deeds, they prostituted themselves. And so, again, the picture is when they go into the land, here's the Canaanites. They have gods they worship. The Sidonians have gods they worship. The Debusites have gods they worship. The Hittites have gods they worship. The Philistines have gods they worship. God had already instructed them very, very clearly, do not worship like they worship. Do not serve their gods. Do not be carried away. Drive them out of the land. I will go before you to do this. And so back to Joshua. And you can use Psalm 106, Psalm 78, Psalm 104, Psalm 107. Those are just histories that you could use as a devotion to look at them. Look at them. And it, the scripture is like a mirror. And when you hold your life up to the mirror of scripture, It'll show you your own journey. Your own journey when you acted in these ways, where you didn't seek the Lord and didn't listen to his advice. So, when we come to um, chapter 14, let's go back there now. The word wholehearted is mentioned of Joshua again and again, three times. You see it in verse 8, you see it in verse 9. And you see it in verse 14. That he was wholeheartedly committed to the Lord. And in this chapter, it doesn't say they can't take the land. It doesn't say they didn't drive him out. It says that Joshua would and did. Here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong as today as I was on the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous. Now give me this mountain. Give me this hill country. The Lord promised me. You yourself heard then that the Anakites. The Anakites are the giants. And 45 years later, Joshua is saying, you know what, I've seen what God can do. I'm going to continue to trust what God did in the past that He'll do in the future. I'm going to trust that God said that He would drive them out before us. And He gave them that promise. Back in chapter 13. Look at chapter 13 of Joshua. Verse 6. As for all the inhabitants of the mountain regions from Lebanon, these are the people that live there, that is all the Sidonians. I myself will drive them out before the Israelites. So maybe you're in a situation right now. At one time, you trusted in the promises of God. But for some reason, you've drifted. You've drifted in your commitment. You've drifted in your zeal. You've drifted in your earnestness to watch over your own life. Don't forget what God promised. Don't forget the promises He gave as we go through the journey. And so, going a little forward now, you get the picture. This is a general idea of where the people that lived there were and where the people who were coming, the Israelites, came in. And yet you have the border problems, um, complacency, not... um Closing the door behind you and then the general idea of regret wanting to go back. I remember when my life was good well do the things that made your life good and Or being dissatisfied with the present and the idea for more now We're just going to click ahead and we're going to begin to look. I just took it upon myself now I was looking at uh, here on this side of the river you have the three tribes and over here you have the tribes that moved in. And I thought, what happens? How did, how did this happen? That they would go into the promised land and then very quickly after moving into the promised land, all this trouble would happen and they would end up in exile. How does that happen? Well, because they didn't obey God. They didn't take it seriously. And they didn't take sin seriously, and they didn't understand when it says the wages of sin is death, and the consequences of sin are real. Of course, there's forgiveness, but we cannot underestimate the seriousness of sin and our inability, our inability to deal with sin on our own. If you could handle the crisis of your sin, if you could handle the power of your sin, there would be no need for Jesus to go to the cross. There would be no need for the forgiveness and the power of His death and resurrection. But we we have to understand and not underestimate our inability, apart from Christ, apart from the Spirit of the living God, apart from the promises and the provision of God to deal with sin. We really think we can without God, without the Gospel. Without the gospel of Christ, we do not have the ability to deal with sin. So I was thinking, how can I understand what took place? This is how. I thought about it as they went into the land. They didn't take the idolatry out of the land. Rather than driving the, the idolatry that was being practiced, worshiping of other gods, they... Snuggle up to it, and they began to worship other gods so far as to offer their own children to the fire. If you remember the story at all, back in Exodus, Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. And they're down in the valley building the calves. So throughout history, we know that the human heart is an idol-making heart. And it's prone to idolatry. And so we have to deal with idolatry and that's just worshiping other gods have no other god before you So then I just started filling these in I'm thinking about what do we leave in our life what happens grumbling and complaining was a second nature to them all along the journey you can read that they complained and they complained and they complained Every day we should wake up and say, you know what, I'm thankful I don't live in a refugee camp today. I'm thankful that I don't even have to go and scrounge my food. I'm thankful that i got family and friends. There's plenty to grumble and complain about, but not for the person who's seeking God's face, who's recognizing the goodness and the grace of God. We could be thankful people, and we are, and you just think about leaving that, leaving lust in your life. Maybe a little tiny pocket. And then you start to justify it. You start to compromise with it. You think, well, this little bit won't hurt. This little bit's not going to cause anybody trouble because nobody knows about it but me. Well, what are you saying to God in that situation? What are we saying to God in that situation? So you could put anything you wanted in here. Throughout history, there is... A thing, a list called the seven deadly sins. And they just said, what's common to man? What's, what's your struggle? What's my struggle? What's our struggle? And if we don't go in and faithfully bring it to the cross, bring it to the cross, bring it to the cross and continually bring whatever has hold of us to Jesus, we're not going to be free. So I just was filling these in. Any one of these, let alone all of them, can bring a person down. and these are the things and it made me think about what they left in the land. and then we could spend a lot of time on unpacking what each one of these might mean in a big picture and then in a little picture. But like we talked a lot about before you leave a little bit of infection in your body, your physical body. Leave a little bit of infection there for too long, even as much as I remember when I was a kid, I got a sliver in my finger. And uh, it hurt, but I didn't notice after a couple of days because I was too busy doing what a kid does, playing, that there was a red line that started going up my arm. And I don't understand all that, but they tell me that if that red line goes all the way to your heart, you're in serious cardiac arrest, probably, and death. But I mean, that little thing was just from a sliver. A sliver that was left in the skin. A little tiny area, a pocket of sin, left in um the area of the promised land. And so... Any one of these things could bring a person down, but there is forgiveness, there's grace, there's mercy, there's the goodness of God. And look at what 4.23 says of Proverbs. It says, Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. And you think about how serious that is. You could be the best lawyer, the best doctor, the best nurse, the best carpenter. You can take care of all the things on the outside. But if you leave your heart unguarded, unprotected, unrealizing that from your heart flow life, you're going to be in serious trouble. The heart is deceitful above all things beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct And according to what their deeds deserve. So the heart again at the center. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become. On the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. His heart was deeply troubled. You flash forward to the New Testament. Are you so Still so dull? Jesus asked. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with one washed hands does not defile them. So we want to take care of washing our hands and then we think we've done our job. But it's the heart that's the issue. You and I, whatever you're struggling with today, you bring your heart before the Lord. He will shine His light on your heart and show you whatever pockets there might be there where you didn't take the land, where you didn't enter into all your inheritance. And if forgiveness is part of your inheritance as a Christian, as it is, how can your argument go on into tomorrow? How could your argument that's causing a wall and a separation go on in tomorrow if forgiveness is part of your inheritance? It's part of the gift that you have. So we use our inheritance wisely. Forgiveness, prayer, fellowship. The gifts and fruit of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God in our life. The Word of God in our life. The grace we have to accept one another's flaws and differences. To live in community with each other. That's what we have. And if we don't utilize it, quickly these things grow. As you'll see as we go through. You'll see it spirals in the book of Judges. And then... Saul comes along as a king because the people rejected God as a king. And they chose Saul because he was taller than everybody else. And he looked good on the outside. And then along comes David. David was a friend of God. David's heart was committed to God. But even David's life, he got his eyes off God. He strayed. And on and on it goes. So as we continue through Joshua, we have to picture that this land wasn't just a place to relax. It was a place to do battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, tell the grave. And even at 85, you can still move forward and take mountains through faith in God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pray that you would speak to each of our hearts as only you can, God, to bring encouragement, to bring conviction, to bring... The transformation. We can't do this, God. We can't change our own heart. We ask for your help. Help us to move toward you and away from self-reliance and self-dependence. Help us to see what you're doing in the big picture to cause us to be conformed to the image of your Son. To continue to Be grateful and thankful for what you've done and to remain humble as we embrace the life that you have laid before us, the opportunities we have to proclaim your great name, to love you, to love each other. Help us to apply our inheritance, what you've given us, the tools and the gifts that come from your hand. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.